The Ku Klux Klan had a machine gun. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are happy to have you with us again. We are going to share with you some more incredible stories, and it looks like we're going to have a throwback to the 60s. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, but this is another story that involves your period of time when you were part of news and radio and all that jazz. That's correct. In fact, I was also a disc jockey back then, uh, spinning the hits of some of the groups uh, that were um, you know, uh, fabulous back then and uh, still known today. The Beatles, the Birds, and uh, the Beach Boys, and the, the Hollies, and the Turtles, and the, and, uh, the Who. <clears throat> but um, my college days, they uh, back in the 1960s, they were spent in a small, sleepy southern town. And uh, my college was very proud of its liberal philosophy. Uh, they had uh, admitted one black student to the student body. Now, that sounds ridiculous today one black student in your student body and you feel that you're integrated and that you're very liberal. But you know what? This was the 1960s, Gary. Mm -hmm. This was 40, 60 years ago. And America was a different place back then. That's true. So they felt they'd jump on board and admit one person of color. Yes. And uh, you know what? Even at that, uh, he was a little nervous about being on a a campus of, uh, you know, uh, a white university. Um, He kept uh, quietly in the background he kept out of the public eye during the entire time i was there i don't think i ever saw him once when i was on campus the whole four years and looking back at those times i, I realized that it took courage for him to be on that southern campus and also courage for the college administrators to uh, admit him it was just unheard of to have someone uh, of color going to other than a uh, black college uh, in the south Sure. So those uh, 1960s, they were very turbulent times. Uh, they didn't impress me as such at the time. I, when you're living in a moment, a lot of times you don't really see the level of the turbulence that's going on. It's only later with hindsight that you right. realize, wow, I was living through some real history going on there or some real social change or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were the days when uh, the uh, members of the Ku Klux Klan lived and worked among us. Uh, you never really knew if someone might be connected to the Klan, especially there in a small southern town. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan rallies, by the way, they were. where do you think they were held? Well, um, if I were going to just throw a dart out there and see if what I could hit, I would say probably a cornfield. Well, that's pretty close. Uh, Cornfield, uh, uh, empty field, definitely uh, in a rural part of the county. Really? Uh, Definitely a large field. Uh, And um, sometimes you might even have to go down a dirt road uh, to get to the rally. Uh, But let me tell you something about these rallies, Gary. Mm -hmm. They They were like family entertainment affairs. Uh, the husbands and wives turned out with their children. I saw children who were eight, ten years old in their tiny little Ku Klux Klan robes there, uh, having a grand old time. There My gosh! Music. There were speakers, and there was <clears throat> everything going on. And um, you know, people uh, felt that it was a, a, a great way to spend a, a Saturday evening. Uh, the people that were at the rally, that is. I can only imagine. <clears throat> uh, 
what pops in my head is like a Norman Rockwell painting, but if it was painted in very dark tones, very scary tones. Now, you bring up that uh, this is something that you saw, so um, I'm guessing that because at the time you were in radio and in news, was this related to some kind of uh, news story that you were doing? Yes. Uh, back then, uh, we used uh, reel-to-reel tape recorders, Gary, not the digitals that are out here today, but reel-to-reel tape recorders. So I had a small one, <clears throat> and I uh, planned on coming back to the uh, radio station and do a news report with the uh, actual sounds of, of the rally, uh, the singing or the speeches or whatever. So uh, I had my tape recorder uh, rolling during most of the time that I was there at the rally. Now, I will say this. <clears throat> I felt like uh, a, a bit of a stranger at the Ku Klux Klan rally. So, Well, I can imagine why. You weren't there uh, <laughs> for yeah. maybe the same reasons they were. Uh, who knows what they thought about the press. So anyways... <laughs> So uh, did you uh, take shelter somewhere or uh, try and stay out of... Uh... Sort of. Um, I uh, quickly identified uh, a federal government vehicle, a sedan, dark-colored sedan, government plates uh, loaded with uh, FBI agents. Oh, well, I couldn't imagine a safer place to be. Yeah, and they were observing. I don't know if they were taking down license plate numbers. Uh, back in that in those days, they did tend to take down license plate numbers of any gatherings they were observing. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what they were doing, but I felt uh, you know comfortable uh, standing uh, pretty close to them. And that's going to become part of my story as the story evolves, by the way. So oh. the FBI agents are going to pop back into this story. Now... Well, I told you already that uh, everybody of all ages was at this rally. Right, early Big entertainment on a Saturday evening out in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the white-robed Klan leaders, and uh, the first one of the first things I heard on the um, loudspeakers, they had a huge speaker system. Uh, they claimed they had a machine gun. Okay, that gets a little bit more scary. And so uh, when they said that, I looked over at the uh, FBI agent who was in the uh, driver's uh, seat in the car, and he laughed. (laughs) He laughed. He said, oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So he found that a little bit humorous. And uh, the Klan leader said, "Uh, and uh, we're not going to hesitate to use it if anybody tries to interfere with this rally. Oh. And again, I was watching the uh, the agents more than the the clan leader at this point, just to see the reaction. They they thought it was pretty comical. So they uh, didn't believe that they actually. Yeah, no, they didn't feel threatened or it didn't intimidate them in the least. They they thought it was a little bit on the comical side. So the rally also included uh, a lot of country music, and uh, mostly though the songs were really filled with hateful words and and words of intolerance. Uh, it was melodic music. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of melody you could enjoy, but the, the lyrics were were really uh, intolerant. Um, so uh, a- after a little bit of the music played, the speaker got up there and, and he said, everybody stay calm, stay calm. Remember, we have that machine gun. Uh, we're not going to let outsiders arrive and try to disrupt the proceedings. Why had they become aware that uh, you and the FBI uh, people were out there watching uh, them? They knew. They knew. You know, they knew we were all out there because this wasn't their first rodeo. Of or, course not. Or I should say their first rally. Uh, so uh, to emphasize that they meant business, at this point, they lit the giant cross. That whole cross went up in flame. 
Now, what I found extremely amusing uh, about this one and only clan rally that I ever attended was how many seedy characters and bib overalls left the rally and came by the FBI car where I had positioned myself. Each one gave a short oral report to the agents. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but <clears throat> obviously <clears throat> they were telling the agents something. So informants. Yeah, and then they'd go back to the rally. And, I mean, it was a steady stream of these really seedy-looking characters. And so at one time I, I said to myself, <laughs> I wonder if there's more FBI informers in attendance than there are actual Ku Klux Klan members. Wow. Yeah, that thought uh, did uh, go through my mind. <clears throat> But in any event, uh, you know, uh, in college, race relations really never became a, a hot-button hot issue for me. The, the war in Vietnam was uh, really what occupied a lot of our minds. And, um, you know, would we even make it through college before getting, uh, getting drafted? Oh, sure. Yeah. So when I first arrived on campus, I joined the Army ROTC unit, dreamed about becoming an officer. But... Before the end of my freshman year, I learned that ROTC graduates from my college were being assigned as forward artillery observers, and artillery observers were sustaining a very high casualty rate in the jungles of Southeast Asia, in fact, um, not lasting more than a few months. So it sounded a bit suicidal to me. I decided to drop out of ROTC, and I never was drafted. But <clears throat> I always will remember my time spent with the Ku Klux Klan in one of their rallies. Uh, and, uh, you know, to go back to Vietnam just uh, briefly, I, I never understood, Gary, why we sent so many members of my generation to their deaths in a war that, to me, never seemed to have any purposeful meaning, at least to those of us who, who tried to make any sense of it. But we're not uh, political on our podcast, so uh, that is a question that remains unanswered. Well, I think, you know, Looking back at uh, the 60s, uh, there was a lot of things that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense at that time. And we're all still trying to make sense of a lot of things now. Um, but circling back around, uh, you wanted to be an officer. You have never expressed any interest uh, at all to me about wanting to have any kind of military career. Well, uh, that uh, lasted but one semester, and then, uh, you know, for the three and a half rest of years of college, that was totally out of my mind. And if you want to fast forward 20 years, how about this as a capper for the Ku Klux Klan story? Fast forward 20 years, I'm doing graduate work in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the Deep South. Right. And <clears throat> sure enough, I'm working in radio part-time while I'm earning my master's degree from the University of Southern Mississippi. So here I am, back in radio, back on a college campus, doing my graduate work. One of my buddies was a um, news director at the local TV station. Right. And uh, he was black. <clears throat> and we were talking about uh, trying out uh, some of the nice barbecue restaurants in the area. And... Uh, uh, he mentioned one that was really fantastic. He said, but, but we can't go there at night. And I said, uh, why is that? He said, I would consider it too dangerous for myself to go there. It's out in the rural part of the county, and it's just not safe. This was 20 years after the Ku Klux Klan rally. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
there, there was a lot that uh, had taken a very long time to change in some of the very deep parts of the South. So I can only imagine. But uh, what I can't imagine is being a person in the middle of that and being the target of, uh, of, of all of that and living every day looking over your shoulder or feeling the unease of, you know, having to live in your community. And never having experienced that myself, it was always surprising when I came across somebody like that who was concerned, who did have a little fear, and it restricted what he could do in the way of leisure time enjoyment. Right, because I mean... We never went to that barbecue restaurant out in the rural part of the county. We never went. Because of because of his fear, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's real. It is real. It's real, and uh, fortunately, um, uh, like I say, that was the 1980s, and uh, we're 40 years beyond that. So um, much has changed in the United States of America, and I would only hope that today, if I were to meet up with him, that we could go to that barbecue restaurant at night and feel totally safe and enjoy our meal. I can completely understand that. I absolutely can. Well, that was definitely uh, a very unique story to tell and a very unique experience that uh, you went through. So all I can say is once again, I'm Richard. I'm Gary. And that was your amazing story.